You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders podcast. Ahead of the Seahawks game against... The Philadelphia Eagles. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And it's Philly coming to town, John. It is. We're back home after, what has it been, three or four on the road or something like that? We feel like we've been away for a little while. Well, yeah, and that later game was a little bit off the normal schedule. Now you're kind of back on as much of a normal schedule as you can be after getting back at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. That was a good time. Yeah. I think I'm caught up on sleep, though, so yeah. we're good. But if I say anything dumb, then I'm not caught up on sleep. Right. That's well, my, of course. That's my excuse for the week. Well, in that case, it would take you like three days to get over it. I I tend to be okay that first day. It's the second day that I, I just can't function very well. I, I'm pretty sure we did these sort of things in college all the time. Yeah, but we were young then. Well, yeah. It just goes to show that... We are aging, but with age comes wisdom and perspective, and that is exactly what we need when we jump into the conversation about the Seahawks roster moves. Because, John, I think when news came out that Kristen Michael was being released, it was a little bit of a surprise to some folks. A little bit. So give us a little bit of context and perspective around why that decision was made. Yeah, I mean, it, as Pete Carroll mentioned, it's it's more about what, they, what they're what they getting and what they have than getting rid of a guy. They the, A, they are really excited about getting Thomas Rawls back, and long-term they see him as kind of that feature back, the role that Chris and Michael was filling for part of this season. Um, and B, we saw what C.J. Procise can do in kind of a bigger role it's the most playing time he's had his first start and you count for 153 yards of total offense um and then finally they they do really like Troy Main Pope that was a guy they hoped to get to the practice squad when they made their roster cuts didn't work out because the Jets jumped on him but he became available again so they're bringing him in um you know I think it's a little less surprising if you'd been watching the last couple weeks it's kind of you've seen the transition away from kind of from Michael to Procise and the fact that Procise had such a prominent role over Michael this past week and Rawls is coming back, it, you could sort of see it coming. Yeah, and I think that when you look at those statistics, it's a little bit of the diminishing returns that, that you're looking at. And I think Doug Baldwin's comments after the game, just giving us a little bit of insight on Procise, who was on the field for 77% of the snaps, it's not just the yards that you could see, but the fact that he ran to those dark creases, yeah, which is what the offense refers to when you know that you're supposed to run to a spot, but you don't necessarily see the hole there. You just have to trust that it's going to open up. And I think the Seahawks were pleased with Procise trusting kind of the process and how that was all going to play out. Yeah, I mean, and that that's a lot of times the difference between the, the three and four yard run and the tackle in the backfield. It's not necessarily that that dark crease is going to turn into a big gain. It's instead of hesitating and not trusting it and trying to improvise and getting tackled for a loss, you trust it, you 
just get up in there and get what you can, and it may not be a big game, but it's something. But and sometimes those plays are only blocked for two or three yards, right? Yeah. And it's just to keep you on schedule so that you are not facing third and long multiple exactly. times during the course of a drive. Here's the other thing about ProSize that I really like. Not just the total yards, but he forced five missed tackles, and he ran for 42 yards after contact. That is also something that the Seahawks have missed this year without Marshawn Lynch, who has usually been at the top of the league in both of those categories. Yeah, exactly. And he finished some runs really physically, and that yes. the team notices that when you, you know, you you're running, you catch a pass, you're running on the sideline, you could step out of bounds, or there's a DB there, and he put a shoulder down, knocked the guy over. They really like seeing that. Yeah, and uh, I'm curious then, what do we think the division of labor is going to be between Rawls and Procise this week? You know, it'll be interesting to see, especially this week, because he's been out a while. I mean, there's a guy that came back from one long-term injury, so he didn't have training camp and all that. Plays a little bit in the opener, plays more in week two, and then gets hurt. So I'd have a hard time envisioning a scenario in which Thomas Rawls jumps in as the starter and gets 15 to 20 carries. I just don't think that's really fair to ask of a guy who's been out this long. Um, I, I think over time it'll start to shift more to him being the feature guy and Procise being that third down back. Now, when I say a third down back, people are going to picture the role Robert Turbin had, the role that um, Fred Jackson had last year. It's going to be more expanded than that. They really like what Procise can do, the different things he does. They'll, they'll find more ways to get him on the field than maybe in years past when it was Marshawn Lynch and then somebody else just occasionally in the game. That being said, I do think his Rawls will be more the first and second down starter going forward. But I, I think probably this week you'll see a little more pros still. Yeah, that's kind of my gut feeling too, especially since Rawls is coming back from two leg injuries, right? Yeah. So he, he just can't be in game shape yeah. when you've had to, to work your way back and rehab from that. I am curious your thoughts on Tremaine Pope and not – He's a good fit in Seattle. We saw that during the course of the preseason. It is hard to flash when you've got so much talent on this team, but he did. So why, when the Jets picked him up, why wasn't he able to be utilized? And if he's not able to be utilized, why do the Seahawks have a place for him? I think sometimes it's just opportunity. It's hard on a lot of teams, and this one included, but I think this team's better than most at giving everyone that chance to really – compete for playing time and not just sort of a token, hey, you know, you're out there, but you're really third on the depth chart and that's not going to change. Um, that being said, I don't think he's going to come in and play a ton right away. They might find little ways to get him involved here and there. They they, they are excited about him. I thought it was interesting that Tom Cable said he might have the best eyes of anyone in that group for, for reading the holes in their blocking scheme, which for a guy who's pretty new here, you know, he spent training camp here, but hasn't been around that long. That's pretty good praise. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see him get 10 touches this week, but they'll they'll figure out ways to get him involved here and there. When you talk about the Seahawks giving guys the opportunity to compete, we've had some great stories throughout the years when it's been Pete Carroll and John Schneider, arguably none better than George Fant, who will in fact retain that position at left tackle despite the fact that Bradley Sowell is healthy to play this week. Yeah, no, that's it's a crazy story that a guy, I mean, it's one thing to do the, you know, find a college basketball player and bring him in, and maybe you put him on the practice squad or you just hide him on the roster for a whole season. That's when he made the team, I thought for sure it was just to stash him so another team can't try it out and wait a year and then see what happens. But he really, and they might have been thinking that too, but he played so well and just, uh, uh, you know, learned the offense and fit fit in so well that when an injury came up, 
they had other more experienced guys. Jamarcus Webb has played a lot of football. You could have done different things, could have moved Gary Gilliam over there, but they were that excited about Webb, and, or I'm sorry, about Fant. Now he's your starting left tackle. Tom Cable confirmed that yesterday that they're going to keep him there. And now, as you mentioned, Sal's back. He's going to compete with Gary Gilliam over on the right side. We'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Which I really like the way the offensive line is shaping up. And I'll go there in just a second. But to go back to Fant, I, I think it's his athleticism oh, that sure. saves him more often than not. And when we talk about athleticism, guys, he played at Western Kentucky. He is 15th all-time on their scoring list, 8th all-time on their rebounding list. I may or may not have challenged him to a rebounding contest I today. Hope, which I hope not. I <laughs> That's not going to go well, I, It Jen. was a little bit of bravado on my part. I'm not going to lie. I was a really great rebounder in high school. I am a really mean player on the court. And then he stood up from his locker, and I thought, ooh, he does have some size Give enough about me. a foot to him. Yeah. Give yeah, yeah, a couple of pounds, a little bit. You know, yeah, he's I'm, 305. So well, I, yes, he is. And when you think about his path to football, it's not like he decided just to go to the offensive line. The first position he was taught was tight end. Yeah. So in the last couple of years, he has changed sports. He's changed positions. He's moved to the NFL. It is extremely impressive that he can handle this. And when you talk to him, there is no sign of panic. There is no sign that there is anything out of place with this picture. No, it's it's remarkable what he's done. I mean, he was talking to the media yesterday that, you know, throughout his college basketball career, because he was built, you know, he's a big kind of, undersized height-wise for a power forward, but a big, strong, physical guy. And he joked that football coaches, they had a few at Western Kentucky, and he joked that the football coaches, each time there'd be a coaching change, they'd come to him and see if he'd want to play. And he said, he just kept saying, no, I'm a basketball player. And then when his basketball career was winding down, he was looking at his options. He mentioned Poland might have been somewhere he could have played professionally. And finally, some people got through to him of, you know, just give this a try. You might have a future in football and didn't play. He he was on the team, but he barely played. But he was just learning. He played some tight end, some tackle, some defensive end. Just did a little bit of everything. And, you know, the Seahawks were just wowed by the athleticism, even though they didn't really have much to go on other than that athleticism. And the good news in that regard is that he didn't have any bad habits. Yeah, you're, we, you're not trying to break him of anything. We've heard Tom Cable talk about that with some of the defensive line converts they've done, too. Of, you know, yeah, this guy has a lot to learn, and they're raw, but you're teaching them how you want them to do it and not breaking them of any of the habits they learned in college that even if they're not bad habits, they might just be different. I mean, every, every line coach teaches things a little differently and technique can be different. So you kind of have that raw piece of clay, lump of clay that you can work with. And now with the way the offensive line is set up, I really like the experience levels and, when it comes to technique, so if Fant is out there and you know that they have modified that game plan just a little bit to give him some help, as they should, because they can't expect him to come in there and do the same things that um, a Walter Jones could do, right? No. But you've got a very technically sound player in Mark Glowinski next to him. And then on the other side, Jermaine Effetti is a rookie, so he's bound to make some mistakes. He's got a learning curve, too. If you end up with Bradley Sowell over there at right tackle – You've kind of mixed and matched your experience a little bit. Yeah, or even, I mean, Gary Gilliam started a lot of games at this point. So either way, you're right. If you had had a, a, both rookies on one side at Garden Tackle, you'd kind of worry a little more about potential for mistakes and miscues and all that. But it, it, I think that does help. And then Justin Britt deserves a lot oh of credit for what this line is doing. I mean, yes. for I, I think everyone was kind of wondering what it was going to look like and if it would really take that 
you know, is he going to be better at a third position than his first two? And he's he's been outstanding. I mean, he's probably been their, their best lineman throughout the year, and you'd never guess watching him play center that he hadn't done it before. Yeah, yeah. And he's just got a different level of confidence around him yeah. now. He, this, he it's been a good move for him, that for sure. room. He controls the line. He controls the room. He is excelling in that position. And I tell you what, Carson Wentz is excelling as a quarterback in Philadelphia. And the talk this week has been – about rookie quarterbacks and kind of where they go. And, of course, we had a very good rookie quarterback here a few years ago, and I'm wondering how the hype around Carson Wentz compares to what you remember of the hype around Russell Wilson. You know, I think there's more of it just because of when he was drafted. I mean, Russell Wilson came in and was a third-round pick and was this cool story that he won the job, but I think the expectations were a little more tempered going into his rookie year. And, you know, it was they were running the ball. They didn't, they didn't really open up the offense for Russell Wilson until – that Bears game, you know, a little past the midway point. Carson Wentz, Pete Carroll was talking about this yesterday, they haven't really held him back from the get-go. I mean, they the one thing, they aren't throwing the ball downfield a ton if you look at his yards per attempt and all that. It's not really high, but he's been efficient. He's taking care of the ball pretty well. I mean, he's he's kind of had some ups and downs, which you expect from a rookie, but overall, he's he's been really good. He has completed 65% of his passes, but five interceptions in the last six games, and the Eagles in general – a very good team at home, a team that struggles on the road. And I'm also wondering, John, if we aren't getting to the point in the season where these rookies are going to start hitting a wall because their college season would be ending this week or next. Yeah, but for for Pete Carroll and his team, he's always seen it the opposite. You know, he, he sees it as this is the time of year they, they start to figure it out. They get, you know, they they've learned a lot. They're contributing more. And that's when you can kind of build up their experience and get more out of them. So there is that element of it. The, the physical part can be hard. And we've seen some guys where it just it'll catch up to them that, you know, instead of playing, if you count the preseason, because some of these guys play a lot in the preseason, you're getting to your 15th game, what would be more than your bowl game, and you still got a good chunk of your season left. But, yeah, I think as long as you manage the guys physically right, this can be when they sort of start to thrive. Well, let's hope that that is not the case for Wentz and the Eagles, who have scored 20 points or more in 11 consecutive games. That is the longest current active streak in the league. That number surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's a good team. They're, you know, if you look at some of the – I mean, their win-loss record isn't great, but if you look at some of the different efficiency ratings people are coming up with now, some of, I mean, you're, you're into baseball. You know the advanced stats. That, oh, so, and they scare me, all yeah, of them. Uh, I went into this so I didn't have to do numbers. Well, they're starting to come into Ugh. football, and, and a lot of those point to this Eagles team being very good. And part of that is they're a really good special teams team also. So, it's you know, they haven't necessarily wowed you with any one element of their game, but they're, they've just been a really solid team across the board. Well, and a lot of people talk about their defense. So here's what I want to do. Compare the Seahawks defense against this Eagles defense because if you look at their numbers, they've, the Eagles are a better team yardage-wise, yards given up by their defense, than the Seahawks. The Seahawks have allowed fewer points, but the Eagles are right there at number two. So how close is Philly to Seattle? They're, yeah, I mean, the numbers are very comparable The as you said, the Eagles have given up a few less yards. Their uh, Seahawks run defense has been a little better. The Eagles pass defense has been a little better. Um, you know, this Eagle, we've seen a lot of good defensive fronts this year, and this Eagles team has another one. Going back to the offensive line conversation, they've shown a lot of progress. 
They haven't quite seen a line like this in a few weeks, though. So this is going to be That's a really true. good test for the offensive line. You, know, you go back to some of these, whether it's the Rams or Dolphins or Jets, they face some of those really good fronts early. This is another defensive line like that. So that's where, you know, I think that's where the, the Eagles test you most. Well, and in all five of the Eagles' wins this season, the D-line has obviously controlled the opponent's offensive line. So that is certainly going to be where it starts. And when you mention their pass defense, their secondary has more interceptions than Seattle. Of course, they might be without Nolan Carroll this week, who's in concussion protocol, and, and his return is questionable right now. But, uh, yeah, there could be some interesting matchups yeah, that come up. Yeah, that's a good group. There. I mean, they're plus five in turnovers right now, which is one better in the Seahawks. So that's, I mean, that's another, you know, that's an obvious number you can look at every week for determining the game. But these teams have both been very good in the turnover so when you talk about a team coming into CenturyLink, I find it interesting. The Eagles know the reputation for CenturyLink and the the passion of the fans, the volume. So they're practicing inside this week to try to to recreate that environment as much as possible. I don't think anything showed how different it is at CenturyLink compared to other stadiums better than last week in New England. And I don't mean this as a shot to the Patriots fans because the Patriots fans that I engaged with and interacted with are very passionate fans. They're very knowledgeable fans. They were very gracious fans. Um, it just wasn't very loud in there. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I mean, I'm in an enclosed press box, so it's always a little hard to tell, but it's, yeah, you go to some stadiums and you, they can have great passionate fans, but they just don't always have the volume level that we hear at CenturyLink field. And that's going back to the rookie quarterback. I, I think sometimes if you get an experienced offense and an experienced quarterback, that storyline can almost be a little overblown of crowd noise. I don't think that's the case this week. When when you've got a guy who's never seen this environment, never played in it, I I really think this is the kind of game where that can be a very real factor. And I you know, he knows that this is potentially a factor, right? And he's talked about the communication yeah. needing to be there and how fun it's gonna be. I don't think he realizes that communication is a non starter here, right? Like you and there's a difference between knowing it's going to be an issue and being able to actually do anything about it. I mean, you can you you can know it's going to be loud and work on this, that, and everything else, but until you've been in it, it's really hard to deal with. Well, and we've seen experienced quarterbacks have problems. I just kind of chuckle when everybody talks about how much they're looking forward to playing here, which it is a great place to play football. And I always kind of chuckle, and I wonder if they think the same thing when they leave, right? Whether yeah. they've won or lost, it's like, did we really have fun playing in that game or not? I don't know. Those were just my thoughts every time I read comments like that. So last question before we wrap it up, and we're a little bit too far out, and I know that every game is a championship opportunity, but there is just something, John, that tells me this team is about to go on a big run and that they're perfectly situated for a deep playoff run. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it over and over with these teams under Pete Carroll that they sometime around midseason, November, it turns for them, and they start playing some really good football. I think it was the Arizona game two years ago where they won pretty big, and it just turned pretty dramatically. We saw it last year, and this year it, it kind of you get this big win. You won, you know, it's only two in a row, but you've won a really big game on the road that nobody really expected you to win. And now this, the schedule sets up, as you said, for them to finish really strong. They've been finishing strong every year, and your quarterback's getting help. I mean, there's just so much going for them. Yeah. And they've got a little cushion in the division right now where, you know, in some years you look at you're going to need to go 12 and 40 even to have a chance at the division. Now you're looking at, 
you know, getting your trying to get a buy and all that. And it's you know, you can't the team can't really get too far ahead of themselves, but we can, I guess, because we we don't have to play. That's <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's if, that's what we're here for. We get to do that. And if you can get a buy, if you can get home games, we know how well this team tends to do in the playoffs at home. That is a true fact. Here is another true fact for you. If you have missed any of our podcast or you just enjoy listening to John and I talk, you can find them all at Seahawks.com slash podcast. That'll do it for this week's show. Make sure that you check out everything John Boyle writes on Seahawks.com. And I will be talking to you on the Seahawks broadcast on Sunday when the Eagles come to town.